know, I, I think a pastor would probably be lying if they said that as they sit down for an Easter message, there isn't a little bit uh, of an added nervous excitement for a, an Easter message. And that's really because you have some people that rarely go to church or haven't been in, in church for a long time coming. And so sometimes you just want to say the right thing, have the right message, uh, have the right analogies. Um, But as I sat down and I prepared the message, my attention was drawn as I studied the resurrection narrative to a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. And I began to study the resurrection of Jesus Christ through her eyes. And as the message began to take form, I realized this was not specifically an evangelical message, if you will. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're new, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you haven't put your faith and trust in him, I pray that you would hear of his love this morning. And today would be the day of salvation for you. But as I studied, I realized that this message was for the church. It was for you and me. Remember, the church is not this building. This is the body of Christ. It is men and women who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I have noticed this sentiment within the body of Christ. And I've noticed it in myself lately. That we're just discouraged. We look out in the world and we wonder, where has Jesus gone? Where have they taken him? And we're frustrated. And we want to see change. But I know without a doubt that that change starts in us. It starts in our lives. We want revival. We want to see a a great awakening. But it starts in us. And the story of Mary Magdalene reminded me of that. Who was Mary Magdalene? As we were worshiping, I brought to tears because I could picture Mary Magdalene singing these words. Mary Magdalene, Magdalene loved Jesus with all her heart. She could not be separated from him. Scripture tells us that the disciples traveled with Jesus and there was a woman named Mary Magdalene that was by his side. Why? What was it about Jesus that Mary found so special? Well, it's the same thing that many of you have found. Jesus has set you free. Jesus has freed you from the bondage of anger and resentment and emotional pain and the, the, just the hurt that comes from living in a fallen world. Now, you're not perfect by any means, but you are surely not living that old life any longer. We learn about really what happened to her in Luke 7, 36. And I'm gonna read that for you. Then one of the Pharisees, now the Pharisees, they were the religious elite. They were the quote unquote men of God that missed the Messiah when he came. They were actually drawing men away from God because of all the hoops and the hurdles that they placed in front of a right relationship with Jesus. But one of these Pharisees, 
He was somewhat interested in the person of Jesus. Jesus was drawing a crowd, so he thought, why not have him over to my home? But he did very little to treat Jesus like a guest of honor. He was just another man in his home. But he asked Jesus to come and eat with him, and, he, and Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed him with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he spoke to himself. And he said, this man... If he was a prophet, he would know who and what manner this woman of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. What does this say about the Pharisee? What did he think of himself? It was a us and them mentality. Oh, I'm not like her. I have no need of a Physician, I'm already well because I adhere to the law. And that woman, she's cut off from God. And if this so-called prophet knew she was a sinner, he would not allow her to touch him. Oh, how wrong he was. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And Jesus tells Simon a parable. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not cease to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are, for, are, for, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now we learn of the identity of this woman in Luke chapter 8 and in Mark 16. We learn that Mary Magdalene had been healed of evil spirits evil spirits and infirmities, and that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. And from that moment, the moment that Jesus set Mary free, she would not leave his side. Because those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Those who understand the depths of their depravity, 
And the reality that Jesus sought them out, called them by name, and freed them from the burden of sin and death through the cross and through his resurrection. They love much. And many of you have have lived that. You know that. You love Jesus because of what he has done for you. He has set you free. And brought you into a life of communion with your creator. For Mary, wherever Jesus was going, she was going. Now, there are some that even argue that she's the same Mary uh, that is sister to Martha. But regardless, she had found what she was longing for, and she wouldn't leave his side. So imagine that for a moment. That's the depths of her love for Jesus. So imagine as she followed Jesus, as she would not leave his side, imagine how she felt when as she followed Jesus, that led her to the foot of his cross. And in John 19.25, now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, looking up at her Savior, seeing that his wrists had been nailed to this cross, his feet had been nailed to this cross, a crown of thorns had been pressed upon his head, and he was struggling to breathe. He was slowly dying. Imagine the agony and the confusion. He, she was not going to leave Jesus' side, but did she have any idea that that meant she'd be standing, looking up at him, suffering and dying? And he did die on that cross. The Sabbath was quickly approaching. And it would be unlawful to bury the bodies of Jesus and the two thieves on the Sabbath day, so they wanted to hasten their deaths. So the soldiers, the Roman soldiers were instructed to break their legs because once you broke the legs, you couldn't push yourself up on that nail and take a breath. You would then suffocate. So both the thieves' legs were broken, but when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So they took his body down, and in a hurry, they found a a tomb that was close, a tomb that had been given to him, and they buried him in that tomb. Let's pick the story up there at John chapter 20, verse 1. Now remember, Mary did not want to leave his side. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. What was she doing at the tomb? We know from the Gospel of Mark that she brought spices with her, that she might anoint Jesus. She wanted to cover his body in these fragrant spices in an act of love and adoration. But remember, her love and adoration was for a crucified Christ. A Christ that she thought was still in the tomb. 
So she went to the tomb while it was still dark, and she, she, in her horror, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. They, they've taken him, and I don't know where they put him. Now, we know the story of Peter and John. This is John's gospel, and he talks about how Peter and, and the disciple whom Jesus loved went running to the tomb, and the disciple whom Jesus loved beat Peter to the tomb. He just kind of threw that in there. Hey, I'm a little bit quicker than Peter, a little bit younger than him, so I have spry legs. And, but he's humble. He says he doesn't call himself out by name. They get to the tomb, and they go inside, and the linen cloths that Jesus were, was wrapped in, they weren't thrown about. They were just laying neatly in the tomb where his body laid, almost as if he had just disappeared. And it says, he believed. And Peter and John, they go home, but Mary stays And look at verse 11. Mary stays. She stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And she wept and stooped down, and she looked into the tomb. So her eyes are fixed on the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be a gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Why did Mary think he was a gardener? Where would you usually come across a gardener? I know, you guys are really smart. A garden. And if you guys, you guys are, if you've been with us the last few months, you know where I'm going with this. That garden motif, that's been on my mind a lot lately. We've been in the book of Kings studying the temple, a temple that calls back to the Garden of Eden. We've been in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, I was taken into paradise. The Greek word is paradiso. It means the king's garden. The Christian uh, Greeks began to use that term as a, the garden of God. And this is, this is special to me. Because in John 19.40, this is what we learn. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in stripes of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. To bury. Sorry, Aaron. Aaron says that I say bury. To bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. 
and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. I never caught this before. Jesus, Mary thought he was the gardener. I always thought she was wrong. But she wasn't that far off. Why would John, and it's only in the uh, Gospel of John, are we told that it's in a garden that Jesus' tomb, that, that, that's where Jesus' tomb was. And Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener. How does John's gospel begin? John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And what Old Testament scripture does that remind you of? Genesis 1, 1. The apostle John is calling us back to the creation narrative. In the beginning, God created. And who was present there? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Share that with your Jehovah Witness friends. So, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, a story that centers around the Garden of Eden, a place where the presence of God dwelt with man, unhindered by sin. And here is Mary walking in the garden with God. And Jesus has just defeated sin and death. So Mary walks unhindered by sin in the garden. Now, this isn't the fulfillment. This isn't her final, we'll see in a moment. This is just calling forward to one day when we will be in the presence of God unhindered by sin because of what Jesus has done for us. But what a beautiful picture. Mary in the garden with God. First time I've ever seen that. But here's where the teaching began to take shape for me. And when I realized this is for me, this is for the church, she missed him. She didn't recognize him. Where have they taken him? And he was, he was right there and she didn't recognize him. She was in the garden in the presence of God, but she was too consumed with grief and too fixated on the grave that she didn't see Jesus. Guys, this is where we need to wake up. This is where I need to wake up. This statement, man, it cut deep. They've taken away the Lord and we don't know where they have put him. Who is the they she's talking about? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it the Jewish leaders? The high priest? The angry crowds? Was it grave robbers? Who's this omnius uh, they? that she's talking about. Guys, we do this all the time. They. We're always talking about a a they. They're listening to us through our Alexas. They're listening to us through our iPhones. 
They're causing the food shortage. They're keeping the truth from us. They're pulling all the strings behind the scenes. It's all about this omnius they. I've said it. Now, I'm not saying there aren't evil institutions that want want to do people harm, but man, we give they a lot of credit, don't we? And then we say, where have they taken Jesus? They've taken him out of our schools. They've taken him out of our government. They've taken him out of our churches even. I know if some of you were honest, you would say church just doesn't feel like it used to. The gathering of the saints. We just don't know where he is anymore. Listen, they didn't take him anywhere. They don't control Jesus, whoever they is. They didn't catch Jesus off guard when they arrested him in the garden. They didn't force Jesus onto the cross. They don't control him. What did Jesus tell Pontius Pilate as he stood before him in chains? And Pontius Pilate says, don't you want to answer me? I hold your life in my hands. Oh, no, sir. Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus goes exactly where his father wants him to go. He says exactly what he wants his father to say, and he does exactly what his father wants him to do. I've been convicted. How dare I say they're taking God out of our schools when my kids who are filled with the Holy Spirit are still going to school? Teachers, you're there, so God's there. Is that not what it means to be the light in this world? Again, added effect. It's the soundtrack to this morning's message. That's my question to you. You may say, God's been taken out of my workplace. God's been taken out of the schools. God's been taken out of my family. But let me ask you this. Are you still there? Are you still there? Because Jesus is alive, and he's with us, and he lives in us. That's the promise of Scripture. And so here's what I needed reminded of. And it sounds so silly having walked with Jesus for over two decades. He is alive. And sometimes I think we are so focused on the Jesus who was. We're so focused sometimes on the grave or we're so focused on past hurt that we can't recognize Jesus through our tears. The church has hurt us. Family members have hurt us. Friends have hurt us. And we're blinded by the pain of that and we can't see him. We don't realize that he's alive or all of our relationship with Jesus is how it used to be. Our relationship with Jesus is simply in the past and we don't realize that 
We serve a Jesus who is alive and desires to be with us. That's the story of scripture. And he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Church, Jesus is alive. And he wants to be with us. Not just in the past, but now. Look at John chapter 20, verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbanai, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, and this is hard, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Jesus simply speaks her name, and again, she immediately knows who it is. He calls her by name and she knows it's the voice of her living Savior. And immediately she calls him teacher, which is the right response. And it's something that I think we've lost as born again believers that we're his disciples. And what it means to be a disciple is that we spend time with him, we hear from him, we become like him, and we go out and do what he did. That's what it means to be a disciple. That we hear his voice. That we make time for him. That we sit at his feet. That's what is so special about Mary's relationship with him. Teacher, it's you. Then he says, don't cling to me. How heartbreaking would that be to hear? She's so excited that Jesus is alive and when she goes to hold him, he says, don't do that. What do you mean? Later on, after Jesus' resurrection, he has Thomas touch him. There's a number of examples of disciples clinging to Jesus. Why discourage Mary from clinging to him? Because the nature of Mary's relationship to Jesus was about to change forever and change for the better. He says, don't cling to the old me. Well, what's the old Jesus? What does that even mean? Well, John 14, 23, Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. And then in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. And then in John 16, five, Jesus says, now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And then in verse 12 of chapter 16, I have so many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you." Guys, we don't have to wait until eternity to walk in the presence of God. That's what Jesus was telling Mary. I'm ascending to my Father. I will no longer be here in a physical form, but when I leave, I will send my Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, to dwell within all those who believe. And that's the time we live in today. We get to experience his presence. We get to hear his voice. But are we listening? March of 2020. You know how you make plans and then you get punched in the mouth and you realize, nope. <laughs> None of those are happening. We, uh, our lease was up in our house. And we had decided for a time being to do what everyone was doing, move back in with my parents. Just for a little bit as we looked for a house, our plan was, what, three months? COVID hit. Everything went into lockdown. You walked into our living room, we had a row of laptops. All the kids were doing school there. Erin was working from home. She was looking for a, a place to have her laptop set up. My dad was working from home. Uh, my mom was watching soap operas. And <laughs> I was trying to find a corner of the house to preach Sunday morning sermons, sermons from. We also had an infant. And that infant was in our, our room with us. And that infant was a light sleeper. So if I rolled over, the infant would wake up. Like the infant, Ezra, my son, (laughs) would wake up and scream. And Aaron would say, why'd you roll over? (laughs) It was, I think I'm describing some of your lives during that time. There was a lot of noise. And then every day, day in and day out, just apocalyptic news stories. It was just so loud during that time. And it was so chaotic. And I realized, I don't know that we've recovered from that. I don't know that we've made space for God to speak to us. They've taken the Lord and I don't know where they put him And the Lord's saying our name, saying, I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I want you to hear from me, but you're not making any space. If that's your heart, 
If, if you re- resent, if, if, if there's some type of resonation with that, I want to encourage you. It's time to take our thought lives back. As Paul says, taking every thought into captivity. I was surprised to see as I began examining this how much of my thought life is controlled by someone else. How much of my thought life is controlled by an algorithm? You understand what I'm saying? When you're on YouTube and you're watching video after video after video, you're watching what YouTube curates for you. Someone behind the scenes is determining what you're watching. We've turned on the radio and we're listening to whatever that radio program wants us to listen to. We listen to a podcast and it's whoever that podcast host wants us to hear. We turn on the TV, Netflix, and what do we do? We scroll Netflix for an hour not knowing what to watch and then we pick one random movie and we waste two hours of our lives. There's so much of our time that is dictated and so much of our thought life that is dictated by someone else. It's time to take our thought life back. It makes space for God to speak. Because he's saying our name. He's calling to his church. In Matthew 5, Jesus says in 5.14 to his church, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it goes, it gives light to all who are in the house. Look at Mary's response when she hears Jesus' voice. And Jesus says, don't cling to me, I've yet to ascend to my Father. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene, this is from the NIV, because I think it captures it beautifully. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he said these things to her. That's what this world needs. Men and women who are spending time hearing from Jesus. Not hearing simply about what other people have to say about him, but are actually sitting in his presence. And we're running out of his presence, excited and saying, I've seen the Lord. This is what he's doing in my life. We need to look up. Paul says, Do not. Fix your eyes on the things of this world, but the things above. He writes to the church in Philippi, set your minds on whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's time to shut off the noise for a little bit and make space for the voice of God. That's where the battle is waged. Hear me, the war is already won. Jesus says it is finished, but the battle is with the flesh. 
to die to the flesh, to walk in victory. I want to close with a, a living parable, if you will. I was listening to a, a pastor, and he was sharing this story. He, he liked, I don't relate to this, but he likes to hike mountains. I like in and out two, two different things. But he likes to hike mountains. And he says he kind of has a mindset going into it, like difficult mountains. He puts his head down, he looks at the path, and he just takes one step after another. Some, some of you guys enjoy this, right? Maddie May, I know you like that. Right? Put your head down. And when your body's saying stop, you've got to overcome that and just one step in front of another. And that's what he was doing. He was in a difficult part of the path and he was taking one step in front of the other and he heard a rustling in a bush. And when you're in the middle of nowhere and nobody's around and you hear a rustling in a bush, that's a problem. <laughs> and he says that usually when there's a rustling in the bush, whatever's in there is more scared of you than you are of it and it takes off. And he said this time it didn't take off. And that, that worried him. But as he looked more closely, he was even more scared because he realized it was a woman in the bush. And when you're in the middle of nowhere and someone's in a bush, you give them their privacy because they're probably taking care of some business. So he kept his head down and he kept going, but she popped up and her mouth was full of huckleberries. And if you don't know what huckleberries are, I didn't either, I had to Google it. I'm a city boy. They're like giant blueberries. They grow in the wild. And she jumped up and she says, there's, there's huckleberries everywhere. And so he looks up and he had missed this. The trail he was on was lined with huckleberries. Just as far as he could see down this trail. And if she hadn't have stopped him and said, look, look what's around you he would have kept his face down looking at the trail and completely walked by them. And I heard that and I'm like, that's where my eyes have been. My eyes have just been trying to survive. Looking down, one foot in, does anyone relate to that? You're just trying to put one foot in front of the other, trying to move forward. And Jesus is like, look up, I'm doing something. And he calls us by name. So that's my encouragement this morning to you, church. We believe Jesus is alive, right? Yes. But it's one thing to say it, and it's a whole nother thing to actually live in that reality that the creator of all things wants to spend time with us, and we say, no, I'm too busy watching YouTube shorts or fill in the blank. Romans 12, 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You heard me say last week that 60% of the yous in the New Testament are plural. It's not you, it's you all, all of you. And here's an example of this. By the renewing of all of your, he's talking to the church. 
He's talking to the family. And that's the light bulb for me. I can't tell you how many times I've just been thinking incorrectly or I've had a bad attitude or my mind has simply not been the mind of Christ and I come to church and I'm around you guys and you guys are like, hey, there's huckleberries. And I look up and, and you help me to transform my mind. That's what gathering together is all about. So if you're a, creast, a creaster, you know who you are. You're here because it's Easter. And I'll see you again on Christmas. I really do want to encourage you. Something special happens when the body of Christ gathers together. Is it a perfect gathering? No. We bump up against each other because we're not Jesus. Sometimes we offend, sometimes we hurt. But more than anything, we've been equipped to build one another up. And how can we do that if we're not with one another? So whether it's here or in another Christian community that loves Jesus and treasures his word, become a part of a a family. Because that is a wonderful place to have your mind transformed and be reminded of the goodness of God and that he is alive. And he's calling us by name and he desires to dwell with us.